Welcome to today's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday the 18th of August 2022, here at Colin Chance House. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles today are Moira Lowe, Richard Pugh and Penny Welford. Our sound engineer is Alex Gwynn and we are, as usual, ably supported by the admin team, led by Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all our readers, especially new ones. I do hope that you enjoy this week's offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers' published letters and thought for the week. Nowadays, obituaries are placed following the closing music, so if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts, but at present, talking books are not available on memory sticks, but rather on CDs and tape. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone. That's Worcester 01905 767 766, or you could add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. So, off we go then. We'll start today with the thought for the week, read by Penny. The thought for this week is from Mark chapter 6, verses 47, 48, 50 and 51. When evening came, their boat was in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. Thank you, Penny. Now some useful telephone numbers. I've already given you the number here at Colin Chance House. Police Non-Emergency 101 Crime Stoppers 0800 one. The Worcester Hub for Council Matters Worcester 765765 Worcester Theatres Worcester 611427 
Malvern Theatres. 01684-892277 and Out of Hours Medical Services 111 and Samaritans 116123 and that's a free phone number. And this week we've added one that might be useful in the event of power cuts rather than running round and trying to find out whether it is a power cut and what to do, Western Power, who have just changed their name to the National Grid, are very useful in such an event. Theirs is a 24-hour service and the number is 0800 and just a top tip, they offer a priority service register and that will provide information in Braille, large print or alternative languages and that is for people for whom such help might be especially useful. And the number to register is 0800 well, now we'll start with the headlines for this week and we'll start with Moira reading the headline article for last Friday. Moira. OK, so my headline is Fields of Fire. Firefighters battled to save homes and gardens after a fire in a field spread quickly, sweeping up two cars and a garage. Eight crews went to the fire which started in a cornfield in Great Whitley but quickly affected nearby properties. The fire reached the outskirts of homes next door to a petrol station after breaking out at 2pm on Thursday. A man who watched as the wildfire spread to his garden has spoken of his relief that nobody was hurt. Nigel Moore rushed from his home in Worcester Road, Great Whitley to check on the guests of a holiday home where the fire was also close to reaching. Mr Moore said he watched his firefighters battle the flames which reached his hedge. Nigel Moore said, It was quite exciting, not what you expect to be dealing with on a Thursday afternoon, but it was quite scary because it was happening so close to the garden and the bungalow. The first I heard about it was when I got here at 2pm and fortunately the firefighters had already arrived. They responded so quickly and I really can't talk highly enough about the work they've done. It all seemed to be under control by about 3pm. Mr Moore said, I've no idea what started it, but fortunately no one seems to have been injured. My grandfather purchased this property in the 20s. I can honestly say I have never seen anything like this before. Jean Moore said, nobody was hurt, that's the most important thing. Things like our shed can be replaced, but people can't. Thankfully, it didn't affect the petrol station, as that would have been really bad, but it did get awfully close. Bob Sprout, station commander at Kidderminster Fire Station, said, We were called sometime just after 2pm to reports of a fire at the rear of the Great Whitley Hotel. We discovered a cornfield that had been harvested in the last few days. For reasons we are still investigating, a fire had started in the bottom corner. As it came across to us here, at the petrol station, it affected the back of the properties nearby, including two cars and someone's garage. 
which probably affected about 40 acres of the field. Eight appliances were here originally. It was lots of hard work. We also had an incident command unit and a drone. Yesterday afternoon, police turned cars around as they approached the centre of the village for safety reasons. Many motorists used Home Farm Lane as a diversion route, causing heavy congestion on the narrow country lane. My headline relates to the recent Tom Jones concert, uh, where no drink decree frustrates Sir Tom fans. The main headline reads, Anger at Rules for Concert and Fan Fury over Rip-Off Rules for Gig. Tom Jones fans, told they cannot take food and drink into tonight's concert, have slammed the strict rules as a rip-off. Fans have been told they cannot bring their own food and drink into Pitchcroft for the gig unless it is for medical reasons and they have a doctor's note to prove it. But the rules have caused confusion, as another part of the website says that each person will be allowed to bring in a single sealed bottle of water which can be refilled. Fan Gaynor Fitzgerald, who spotted this rule on the website, said, Anyone going to the Tom Jones concert on Saturday at Pitchcroft who may not be aware, there are quite a few rules. In particular, with food and drink which is not allowed to be brought in, even water is barred. Although cups of water will be available, just as it's forecast to be 34 degrees, bring sunscreen. The rules are laid out on a page of the website entitled On the Day and Security. The site includes a section on what fans can and cannot bring to the event, outlining that fans are not permitted to bring their own food and drinks. It's said... No food and drink can be brought into the, venue, into the venue. A doctor's note will permit food and drink required for medical conditions. Cups of water are available at bars free of charge. The rules also ban any fans from taking in any form of chair or picnic blanket. Another fan, who did not wish to be named, said, It's a rip-off. It's just time it didn't happen anymore. You've already paid for a ticket. Why should you be forced then to pay for food and drink? People should stay away until it stops. It is also unfair with the cost of living crisis to force people to spend on food and drink, but then I think it's unfair at any time. It's ripping people off. At the frequently asked questions section of the website, a spokesman said customers are permitted to bring a sealed plastic bottle, maximum size 500ml, one per person, to use at water refill points. On sites where there are no refill points, water is available from the bars. On Twitter, organisers responded to a question about water at the venue. They said a sealed bottle of water, which is 500ml, is, is allowed in. You can also go to the bar and ask for tap water on the day, which is free. Other rules for the event include no professional cameras or audio recording devices, 
no aerosol cans, glass, including perfume, flasks, or anything that can be used as a projectile or weapon. Also banned is any form of chair, including deck chairs, camping chairs, folding chairs, gazebos, picnic blankets, and tents are prohibited. Umbrellas are permitted on site, however they must be taken down during the show. No dogs are permitted, except assistance dogs. No illegal substances can be brought into the site, and anyone caught with illegal substances will have their ticket made invalid and be reported to the relevant authorities. No refunds will be given. We have approached organisers, Liz Hobbs Group Limited, for comment, but they were unable to comment before we went to print. Uh, I wonder whether a rumbling tummy could count as an urgent medical condition. Only if he's got the doctor's note. <laughs> OK. Monday, August the 15th, the headline, Gutted. Homes damaged as caravan fire spreads. Firefighters have battled a fire which damaged two homes in Lower Wick, Worcester. The blaze has caused damage to a house and a bungalow in Columbia Drive. Fire crews and police were on the scene. One witness said, The fire looks like it started in a caravan and has caused damage to two properties on either side, a bungalow and a house. According to the Lower Wick residents page, everyone is okay, thank God. The road was closed but has reopened now. In the bungalow, the windows have all smashed and the bay window roof is damaged. The house has got scorch marks up the one side and the roof is caved in. The bay window has gone as well. There was a police cordon but it has been lifted now. There are burnt-out gas canisters on the side of the road. Yesterday, the homes were boarded up, with charred debris remaining from a caravan left on one drive. Neighbour Michael Charles said, All I saw was the caravan go up in flames. Another neighbour, Rebecca Smith, said, I saw three fire engines and six police cars mid-afternoon. The fire brigade was quick to arrive and put out the fire. I think the fire started in a caravan and the telegraph pole was on fire too. I was in my garden and saw the smoke, so I went outside to have a look. The fire happened on Saturday, August the 13th. And the headline for Tuesday, August the 16th, Arrests after bottle attack outside pub. Two women taken in on suspicion of attempted murder. Two women have been arrested on suspicion of attempted murder after a man was left seriously hurt after a bottle attack outside a Worcester pub. Eyewitnesses ran to help the man, who they described as being covered in blood near a tree in the car park of the Goodrest Tavern in Barker Street. Two women, aged 18 and 19, have been arrested on suspicion of attempted murder and released on bail. 
A neighbour ran to help, giving the victim first aid treatment before the ambulances arrived. She said, He was hit by a bottle. We had to do CPR on him. When the ambulance arrived, they were also doing CPR. He's not in a good way. The woman said she thought he may have been injured during a fight between two groups. She said she saw police take away a bottle and a pair of sunglasses. It happened around 8.30pm on Saturday. Another neighbour said he was covered in blood and had bandages around his head. The woman who lives in the area said, I brought out blankets and pillows for him because it was obvious he was not in a good way. He had been seriously injured. Onlookers say that eight police cars with sniffer dogs and two ambulances arrived at the scene. She added, We've only ever heard nice things about the pub. It's worrying me a bit. You don't expect to see someone like that. He was in a seriously bad way. What is the world coming to? A spokesperson for West Midlands Ambulance Service said, We were called at 8.28pm on Saturday to reports of an assault on Barker Street, Worcester. We sent two ambulances, a paramedic officer and the Midlands Air Ambulance critical care car. We treated one patient, a man, for serious injuries and he was conveyed to hospital on blue lights and sirens for further treatment. In a statement, police said... Officers were called to the scene following reports of an altercation. On arrival, a man was found with serious injuries and was later taken to hospital for further treatment. Two women, aged 18 and 19, were arrested on suspicion of attempted murder. Anyone who was in the area at the time and may have seen the incident is asked to get in contact with us by reporting it online under the Tell Us About section of the West Mercia Police website, quoting reference 705I of 13th August. If you are unable to report this online, please ring 101. Okay, my headline is from yesterday, um, Wednesday, August the 17th. Five injured in multi-car crash. Five people were hurt following a multiple vehicle crash on a busy Worcestershire road. Two vans and two cars were involved in a crash on Malvern Road in Powick at 12.20pm in front of the Skoda dealership. There were a total of five casualties, with four described as walking wounded and one woman requiring further medical attention at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Police, ambulance and fire crews were all in attendance at the scene. A spokesperson from Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service said two Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service crews, one each from Malvern and Worcester Fire Stations, were called to a road traffic collision on Malvern Road, Powick at 12.39 on 16th of August. The incident involved two vans and two cars and while no one was trapped, there were five casualties, four being walking wounded and one handed to the care of the ambulance service. Police attended for traffic management. Two vehicles were recovered from the carriageway and one lane of the A449 was blocked. The incident was marked as pending closure at 13.54. The ambulance in attendance was parked on Malvern Road with police officers diverting traffic around the emergency service vehicle. 
A spokesman for uh, West Midlands Ambulance Service said, We were called at 12.20pm to reports for multi-vehicle RTC and Morven Road Poic Busters. One ambulance attended and arrived to find all occupants out of their vehicles. One woman from one car was assessed and found with injuries which required further treatment. She was conveyed to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Traffic around the time of the crash was queuing heading towards Malvern on the approach to the crash. Bus services were also affected by the crash, which, with first bus announcing delays of up to 15 minutes around the time of the crash. Traffic began to move more freely from approximately 1.57pm when the fire group crew departed the scene. We spoke to police officers at the scene who declined to comment. We are still awaiting a response from West Mercia Police. From today, the uh, Thursday the 18th of August, we have the headline, Miracle Survival After Wait for Help, and refers parents drove impaled son to hospital to avoid a two-hour wait for ambulance. The headline over the article says, Mum's trauma at ambulance wait. Parents were left distraught when they were told to wait two hours for an ambulance after a horrific accident in which they feared their 11-year-old son could have died. A hospital surgeon said it was a miracle Jaden Bland survived after his leg was impaled on his bike. His parents, Craig and Danielle, drove him to Worcestershire Royal Hospital after being told no ambulances were immediately available. Jaden was riding his bike outside Dines Green Skate Park in Oldbury Road in Worcester on Saturday at around 5pm. The mother of three said, He was riding his bike in between a parked car and a wall, and when he fell, the bike handle went into his groin. A family who also live in the area looked after the injured boy before his parents arrived at the scene. They added pressure on the wound in order to stop the blood flow. Mrs Bland added, My 11-year-old son nearly died this weekend and the ambulance said they would take two hours to come to him. We had to take him to hospital in our car. There was blood pouring from his leg. He was in and out of consciousness, and the ambulance said they didn't have anyone to send right now. We were at Worcester for about an hour, and then he was blue-lighted in an ambulance all the way to Birmingham Children's Hospital. The surgeon was great, but they did say it was a miracle that he was here. The fact that he was blue-lighted to Birmingham says it all, really. I'm cross and upset with the government for all the cuts they have been making. At the moment, the NHS is very underfunded, and I know they are doing their best. The parents also had to find care for their five-year-old son and four-year-old daughter while they took Jaden to hospital. Mrs Bland said, Luckily, we live on a community street and we know our neighbours, but it took two of us to drive to the hospital. One had to drive and another had to put pressure on the wound. If an ambulance had come to the scene, 
he, he would have felt more secure because my husband would have gone in the ambulance and I could, I could have sorted the kids out. The nurses asked us what the paramedics did on the way here and we said we drove and they were shocked. They said it was practically unheard of. Emergency calls are categorised out of four based on seriousness and Jaden's injuries were placed in category two. This category provides support for people with burns, epilepsy and stroke, whereas category one helps people with life-threatening illnesses or injuries. West Midlands Ambulance Service said the age of the patient generally does not play a factor and patients are prioritised according to their medical condition. In this case, the service said a call handler was told the bleeding had stopped, which meant the Category 2 priority was appropriate. A spokesperson said, The ambulance service relies on each part of the health and social care system working together so that our ambulances can get to patients in the community quickly. Sadly, the pressures we are seeing in health and social care lead to long hospital handover delays, with our crews left caring for patients that need admitting to hospital rather than responding to the next call. The result is that our crews are delayed reaching patients. Thank you, Richard. Now we're going to get our four penneth out of Richard this evening because he next is going to read one of the sports articles from this week's papers. Richard. Of course, being August, I've chosen cricket. <laughs> uh, Worcestershire Rapids beaten by Derbyshire. This was from Tuesday, August 16. Libby Century, not enough for Rapids. Hundreds of spectators took advantage of Worcestershire giving away free tickets to families affected by Storm Dennis 2020. Captain Jake Libby elected to bowl first and Ben Gibbon was rewarded for a tight opening spell when Harry Kame was caught behind after an expansive drive. Derbyshire were made to work hard for their runs and were restricted to 43-1 from the initial power play against Joe Leach and Gibbon. But the second wicket pair of Rees and Marsoud played themselves in before gradually accelerating. Rees completed an 82-ball half-century, with Marsoud requiring 46 deliveries to bring up his 50 as Derbyshire reached 163 for one in the 31st over. This was followed by an impressive Adam Finch, striking twice in the space of three balls. Marsoud was undone by a ball which bounced on him and edged through to keeper Ben Cox and Brooke Guest hooked his second delivery straight to Gibbon at deep square leg. Reese's excellent knock ended on 136, when he struck a Taylor Cornell full toss straight to long off. There was further success for Cornell when Anuj Dahl, having raced to 46 off 34 deliveries, found the safe hands of Ed Barnard at deep cover. Worcestershire then collected a flurry of wickets in the closing stages of the innings as Mattel 
uh, Matty McKiernan sliced Pennington to third man and the pace bowler accounted for Ben Etchison and the debutant Archie Harrison in his final over while Alex Hughes was bowled by Finch. When Worcestershire launched their reply, they lost a trio of wickets to Sam Connors with the new ball. Cornell Nort was strangled down the leg side and Ed Pollock for drove to mid-off. Azar Ali, 11, gave keeper Guest a second catch of Connors at 35-3 in the ninth over and Reese came into the attack and struck in successive overs with Ed Barnard, 19, nicking through to Guest and Ben Cox, 12, bowled through the gate. Libby batted with plenty of fluency and reached an excellent half-century of 52 balls with six boundaries whilst the wickets fell around him. Henry Cullen, 8, making his second appearance in the competition, chopped on when Aitchison returned to the attack and Joe Leach, 2, swung across the line to Dal and was LBW. Pennington, 35, added 67 with Libby for the eighth wicket to give the home side some hope, but they might produce an unlikely wit. But when he was bowled by McKiernan, the result became inevitable. Libby scooped Nick Potts for six to move on to 99, and then a single from the next delivery took him to three figures from 115 balls with one six and eight fours. But Nick Potts dismissed Finch 24 and Gibbon 11 to polish off the innings and condemn the Rapids to more misery. Thank you, Richard. Well, now, Moira and I are going to read uh, the readers' letters published in this last week's newspapers. I'll kick off with another reference to the Tom Jones concert. However, the headline article was uh, largely a complaint. This, however, is far more appreciative. Concert was a great success, and this is from Cliff Slade of Tenbury Wells. Wow! What a fantastic evening on the green, green grass of Pitchcroft in the company of Tom Jones. His voice, presence, emotion, power, delivery and repertoire were absolutely amazing and well received by the thousands of assembled appreciative fans. His whole set was pure Tom Jones voice with not a backing singer or vocalist troupe in sight. The whole event was well organised with the expected and standard safety concert restrictions applying that only drinks and beverages be permitted to be purchased within the confines of the arena and the subsequent security bag searches to uphold this important aspect. We arrived early at 4pm and had no access issues other than an expected traffic delay egressing the event, which again is to be expected at a concert of this magnitude. 
the security was particularly professional and kept everyone safe and was very effective in helping a sweet lady with a lovely soft Irish accent who had unfortunately overhydrated herself in the intense heat and had to be helped away from the concert just as Tom was belting out I could see that girl was no good for me. <laughs> Tom went on to sing, Yes, they'll all come to meet me, arms reaching, smiling sweetly, and Worcester folk certainly did. Well done, Worcester, for organising a much-enjoyed, brilliant event. The second letter is from Mike Levins of Worcester, and it's about the drought. Drought has exposed the downside of privatisation. I write to support Julie Reynolds' comments in her recent letter, Public Before Profits, in which she claimed and complained that water companies were not doing enough to address the current and seemingly ongoing problems with the country's water supply. Her views reflect those of an increasing number of others, who now recognise the folly of a previous Conservative government's decision to privatise the water industry. An exception to the stance taken by many other countries where it has remained in public hands. However, with regard to desalination plants, she is incorrect. In 2010, the Duke of Edinburgh formally opened such a plant built by Thames Water at Beckton in East London. The plant has, however, never become operational. And now, according to the Telegraph, it seems it is going to be mothballed. This is despite Thames Water repeatedly assuring the regulator that it was ready to be switched on for use in drought. <laughs> I guess it's cheaper to bring in a hosepipe ban than bear the costs of running it. And the final letter from my assignment is from Carolyn Green of Northwick, Worcester. Bollards saved me from speeding child. The newly installed bollard on the alleyway at the bottom of New East Hill, Worcester News, the 9th of August, is probably there <clears throat> to deter cyclists from speeding round the corner into the alleyway rather than to stop vehicular access. A few weeks ago, I nearly got flattened by a child on a mountain bike who rounded the corner from Newey's Hill at high speed just as I was approaching the end of the alleyway. I'm guessing that I am not the only person this has happened to and I therefore welcomed the arrival of the new bollard. Moira. OK, my turn. My first letter is from Bruce C. Wyatt. Through your columns, may I express my personal deep concerns shared by many others of the inadequate facilities planned for the development of the Scala Cinema into a new art centre, which will mean the demise of the beautiful Swan Theatre Worcester, which is as good now as it ever was. We had already lost one theatre in the 1950s to be replaced by the Swan Theatre, funded by local public and business subscription. 
The council appears hell-bent on spending a government grant before it is lost, despite plans to provide an inferior provision compared with the Swan Theatre. Why don't they spend the money on something else that the city does not have already? I'm sure the building itself will be superb. The toilets will be fantastic and will no doubt reap many longed-for architectural awards. But inside it will be sadly lacking for most, if not all, local companies to use, not to mention inadequate for professional touring companies. No doubt it could be filled with tribute bands and comedy nights, for which the Huntington Hall, which will continue, is already very successful. What are we told? No orchestra pit, without removing seats. Less wing space, no crossover facility to enable actors to move from one side of the stage to the other, behind the on-stage action. Less rehearsal space, if any inadequate dressing room provision for bigger companies, and no money for a fly tower, which would be an improvement. Some local feedback to the council has already been heard, but the response has been in the council's own words, there will have to be compromises. So, it's time for each and every Swan Theatre lover to stand up and flood local media with their concerns and in particular express their feelings to the local council or councillors that our city needs to avoid losing its existing theatre. Okay, my next letter is from Julie Reynolds who I think was referred to in um, Evelyn's letters. How much did it cost to name Alleyway? As far as I am aware, the Mecco Alley has been named thus since the doughty Mecco was established in the early part of the 20th century. From my recollection, the affectionate name by which locals call the alley that leads from Bronyard Road to Greenacres has never been official. As children, we believed it to be haunted and rumours were rife of ghostly sightings where the alley runs parallel to the cemetery. Sometime during the 1990s, the Doughty Mecca became Joy Mining, then Joy Global, and in latter years, Komatsu Mining. The alley has been steadfastly continued to be the Mecco Alley, without the need for any official signage. So, imagine my surprise yesterday, when two men from Worcester Council, complete with van and associated paraphernalia, erected not one, but two brand new signs. I didn't notice any champagne bottles being smashed now that the alley has been officially named after all this time but maybe I missed the ceremony. I don't know how much this cost the taxpayer or who made the decision but it seems somewhat odd after a hundred years especially since the factory is sadly due to close next year. Maybe the ghosts of the past lamenting about what happened to Worcester's thriving industrial heritage will haunt the alley. Or maybe the origins of the name of the Mecco Alley will become lost in the mists of time as more and more housing estates bring in more and more people to our once fair and now overcrowded city. And my final cheery letter is from Maurice Francis. Um, it was a fair cop in the good old days. Those of us of a certain age will remember those old black and white films where when apprehended by the law, the villain would say, It's a fair cop, Gov. You've got me banged to rights. Or something similar. Not so now, 
as when in court they produce a long list of medical, personal, family problems, etc., to justify their offending. Oh, for the good old days when life was much more straightforward and the leader of the Labour Party was not a sir. So now we'll move on to the general articles and... Penny, can you start with an article from this last week? Okay, the article I have is from Monday, August the 15th. The headline is Thief Given a Chance. Magistrates told a thief they were giving him a chance after choosing not to jail him, but warned magistrates in future might not be as nice. Stephen Grant of St Wollstone's Court, Worcester, appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court to be sentenced for a number of offences committed earlier this year. Remus Michalescu, prosecuting, went through the charges that Grant had admitted, including three for fraud by false representation, one for refusing to provide a sample for a Class A drug test and another for the theft of a bike. Magistrates heard the fraud offences were committed when Grant used a stolen bank card to buy lottery products, alcohol, tobacco and food at Worcester shops on April the 24th. The prosecutor said, after being arrested for another matter on April the 28th and while at Worcester police station, police suspected Grant had taken a Class A drug. The 28-year-old refused to provide a sample leading him to committing the refusal offence. Magistrates heard the bike theft, which took place in Worcester on January the 30th, also put him in breach of a suspended sentence. Nick Roberts, defending, said Grant's offending was linked to drug addiction, which he had been in the grip of for many years. He has been homeless recently for five years, Mr Roberts said. He has been in the cycle of drug abuse. It is only now he got out of the cycle. Mr Roberts said his clients now had accommodation and had voluntarily been getting help from the drug recovery, Cranstoon. Mr Roberts said instead of activating the suspended sentence, he was appealing for magistrates to follow the probation service's recommendation that Grant be given a community order. Chairman of the Magistrates' Bench, Susan Kitchener, told Grant they had decided not to activate the suspended sentence. A lot of work has gone into supporting you, the chairman said. We don't want to destroy that. We are going to give you a chance. Grant was given an 18-month community order, including 35 rehabilitation activity days and a 12-month drug rehabilitation requirement. Grant was also fined £40 and told to pay £95 victim surcharge. We have previously reported on Grant for offences. A medieval oasis in Worcester City Centre is giving tourists a place to call off during the heatwave. The National Trust says ponds and water features at some of its sites dried up during the July heatwave and several wildfires have broken out on Trust land in recent weeks. But Greyfriars, a medieval house and garden in Friar Street, says it hasn't been badly affected. 
The lawn, like almost all others in the city, looks parched, but visitors are still able to enjoy the colourful flower beds and even a bite to eat in the garden. Steve Strain, a volunteer tour guide at Greyfriars, said, The heat hasn't had too much of an impact. If anything, people see it as a nice place to cool off inside. The sun does get people out and about, which is nice. Most people coming here are visitors to Worcester and they've already planned what to do with their day, whether it's coming here, going to the Tudor House, the Cathedral or wherever. The weather won't put them off, it'll just change what they wear. The food and drink helps here. People can choose whether they want to sit outside in the garden or inside in the Great Hall, where it's nice and cool and gives them the chance to look around. It's an oasis in the middle of Worcester. Greyfriars is thought to have been built as a brew house circa 1485 for Thomas Green, a former brewer and high bailiff of Worcester. It was threatened with demolition during the 1930s but saved after the Second World War and has been in the care of the National Trust since 1966. The house is open for guided tours only from Tuesday to Saturday each week. Tickets are allocated on arrival on a first-come, first-served basis. Greyfriars is a popular destination not only for tourists but also for ducks who seem to enjoy the sheltered garden. We reported in May how a flock had been moved to the canal by the RSPCA but saw a number of ducks happily mixing with picnicking families on our latest visit. And here's some happy news at these times of water shortage. Wednesday, August 17, we see the headline, Water Leak Fixed Early, beneath a lovely picture of the owner of the ground. A huge water leak compared to a geezer has, be, has been fixed a week earlier than expected, after residents complained. The, main, the water main was spewing up gallons and gallons of water into a field at Lyre and Bransford Memorial Hall. Smith End Green Lysinton turning the turf into a bog as a drought was declared in some parts of the UK. Residents had feared the burst main, reported on Thursday, August the 4th, would not be fixed by Seven Trent until Thursday, August 18, because the pipe was so close to other utilities, including a gas main. However, the repairs were carried out on Friday with both Seven Trent and Cadent on site. They stopped the leak, which had flooded the main road. A Seven Trent spokesperson said, We're pleased to report that the leak near Lyre and Bransford Memorial Hall has now been repaired. Due to the location of the pipe and how close it is to other utilities, including a gas pipe, we were unable to begin repairs until the other utility company had it investigated in order to make sure that the pipe was repaired safely. We did everything we could to escalate the importance of this repair with the gas company and would like to apologise again for the inconvenience this may have caused, especially during this hot weather period where we're asking people to use water wisely. A cadence spokesman said, Following the water leak at Lyre and Bransford Memorial Hall last week, Cadent, the UK's gas emergency service, have worked closely with utility companies in the area to ensure the leak is repaired as quickly and as safely as possible. 
we can confirm that we attended site on Friday the 12th of August and supported 7 Trent whilst they completed the necessary works. Stephen Seymour, who reported the leak and believes 7 Trent should be renationalised, said, I'm pleased they're not wasting as much water, but still somewhat annoyed. Thank you to the Worcester News and the Morven Gazette for rattling their cages to do something. I believe it was the publicity that made them get off their backsides. He endorses articles in The Guardian this week where some commentators had said water company bosses should be stripped of their multi-million pound bonuses until they fix leaks and build reservoirs. The article criticises the bosses of England's <coughs> water companies for banking £58 million in pay and benefits over the last five years and says since privatisation, shareholders have been paid £72 billion in dividends. Mr Seymour's friend, retired engineer Terry Eden, used a bucket to measure the scale of the leak and estimated close to 700,000 litres of water were wasted in the week since the leak was first reported. Well, my first article is from Saturday, August the 13th, and it just shows how the most innocent acts can be misinterpreted. Its heading is NHS treat, in inverted commas, goes viral. A video showing a little treat given to NHS staff in Worcestershire has gone viral. The TikTok video shows someone opening a small white package from Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust. On the front of the package are the words, a little treat to say thank you. Inside is a solitary tea bag. The video is captioned, what my dad got at work as a treat. The accompanying post says simply, treat yourself, with hashtags including hashtag tea is a human right and hashtag clap for our carers. The thank you gesture has attracted derision online, with one TikTok user saying, please tell me this is a joke. These workers are heroes. They should be getting free tea anyway. I'm fuming with disrespect. A reply from the video's creator said, We don't get anything for free in the NHS. We have to pay for our own milk and tea bags and coffee. That's why this is a gift. A tea bag and pen on International Nurses Day. One user said, on International Nurses Day, they gave us care packages containing one tea bag and a pen. Cheers! Another added, more than you'd get from any trust in Birmingham. At the time of writing, the video had racked up 1.4 million views on TikTok in just one day. It's also been shared widely on Twitter, where people have been sharing other examples of so-called tokenistic offers of support for, from employers. These included a well-being pebble 
out-of-date cake and a canteen voucher for less than the value of a hot drink. Matthew Hopkins, chief executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust, said the tea bag was among a number of ways the Trust has been showing its appreciation to staff. These include an additional paid day's leave and free meals for staff working over Christmas and the New Year. By way of an extra small but sincere thank you to our midwives and nurses for International Day of the Midwife and International Nurses Day back in May, we sent each of them a certificate and a gift bag with a number of items in, including a branded tea bag to encourage them to take a break, said Mr Hopkins. It's a shame that one small act of kindness done with good intent as part of one of the many ways we say thank you has been taken out of context in this way. My article comes from Friday, August 12th, and it relates to Hartlebury Common. Hard work nominated. A group of volunteers who helped clean up a mass of fly-tipped waste at a Worcestershire beauty spot have been nominated for an award. The group, who cleared up rubbish at Hartlebury Common in December last year, have been nominated for a BBC Make a Difference award. This is in recognition of their efforts clearing up an eyesore rubbish pile which had been on the site for three years. Clearing Hartlebury Common was the biggest project the pickup artists have ever taken on, taking more than three years, 500-plus volunteer hours and £26,000 worth of funding and support from Worcestershire County Council. The County Council Green Space team spent more than 370 hours clearing the overgrowth so that the volunteers could reach the fly-tipped rubbish and litter. In October 2018, the group of litter-picking volunteers, the pick-up artists, arranged to pick up the litter around Hartlebury Commons Nature Reserve with Worcestershire County Council's Green Space team and the Hartlebury Common local group. Headed up by Keep Britain Tidy Litter Heroes Ambassador Karen Blanchfield and Pauline Round, who both volunteer for the pick-up artists, The group was shown around the fly-tipped area with Martin Barnett, the County Council countryside officer, and asked if they would help them to clean it up. Martin Barnett, countryside sites officer for the County Council, said, This is a proud moment for all involved in this work, where a persistent issue of illegal dumping of waste has been addressed. A great challenge overcome by the persistent work and passion of volunteers, local people and our small team of County Council officers. Karen Blanchfield said, Normally I'm not one of many words, but when Martin showed us this area in question, it left me speechless at the sheer size of the fly-tipped area. To me it looked like a landfill site, higher than three metres tall, and it stretched hundreds of yards. How and where would we start was in my head, but knowing our fantastic community of volunteers that we are blessed to have, we agreed just to start somewhere. That somewhere 
led to us to take on the biggest project the pickup artists have ever seen. Excavators were needed to remove tons of heavy fly-tip domestic waste. Skips and trailers were filled with thousands of bags of litter over three years. An award-winning nature expert has revealed how to make an indoor garden for free. Viral TikTok star Ben Newell has shown his 1.1 million followers how to make a terrarium with stuff he has found on the street. First, he collects gritty topsoil, English ivy, dog violet and ivy-leaded toad flax. He also picks up a patch of dried moss that will be revived later on. Next, Mr Newell adds the soil into an empty olive jar and soaks it with water. He also brings the moss back to life after generously dunking it in water and adding it into the jar too. Then he makes a few holes in the moss in order to add the dog violet and ivy-leaded toad flax into them. The final step is adding a large English ivy at the back of the jar and putting the lid back on. The video has raked over 10,000 views on TikTok in less than a week of posting and some social media users have shared how they are going to recreate their own version. One user said, thank you for this. Some followers go by nature. This is a fantastic tutorial. Earlier this year, the TikTok star showcased more than 30 glass terrariums at this year's Chelsea Flower Show. Mr Newell collaborated with Sarah Gerrard-Jones, who is known as the plant rescuer on Instagram, and Mark Lawler from Happy Houseplant. In preparation for the show, Mr Newell transported 50 glass terrariums from Worcester to London. He said, I took 50 terrariums and put them in the back of my Honda and drove very carefully to central London. Every single terrarium made it. Thankfully, the seat stayed flat. However, Mr Newell's love for terrariums comes from working in a school. He said, I used to work at Stanley Road Primary School and I was put in charge of composting and then took over an allotment and then got into terrariums. Alongside a full-time job, Mr Newell also educates people from all over the world on how to make terrariums and how to keep your plants alive. In our next article, I must declare an interest, I'm afraid. Over 50s first in line for booster. Adults over 50 and those clinically vulnerable will be offered the first COVID-19 jab to target two strains of the virus. This will be part of the UK's Autumn Booster Programme. Health Secretary Steve Barclay has said that Moderna's new bivalent vaccine, which targets both the original COVID strain and the Omicron variant, will be part of the rollout from early September. People over the age of five who are classed as most at risk from the virus will be eligible as well as their household contacts, NHS frontline and care home staff and carers over 16 years of age. On Monday, the UK became the first nation to authorise the new next generation vaccine. Mr Barclay said those eligible for the autumn booster rollout would be contacted from early September. He said, I have accepted the independent advice of the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation 
on which vaccines should be offered in this autumn's booster programme. This includes a Moderna bivalent vaccine, which will, be target, which will target two different variants, the Omicron and the original strain of COVID. Vaccines remain our best defence against COVID, and this safe and effective vaccine will broaden immunity and potentially improve protections against some variants as we learn to live with this virus. Our vaccine rollout to date has been world-leading. It has already saved countless lives and reduced the pressure on the NHS. We will begin to contact those eligible from early September and I would urge people to come forward as soon as they are invited so together we can keep each other safe and protect our NHS. Stéphane Bancel, Chief Executive of uh, Moderna, described it as a next-generation COVID-19 vaccine, which will play an important role in protecting people all over the UK from COVID-19 over the winter. Listeners may remember that I like to include an article on Worcester's history. And this week I have a double-page article... On the right-hand page, there are three pictures, one of St George's Church, Barbourne, another of Angel Street Congregational Church School on the corner with the butts, and St Helen's Church on the Fish Street High Street Junction, probably Worcester's oldest church. On the left-hand page is a picture of the frontage of Buckingham Palace, one of Admiralty Arch. And the third picture is of the subject of this article, an architect called Sir Aston Webb, who worked on several projects in Worcester before gaining national fame as an architect. At first glance, the frontage of Buckingham Palace and almost anywhere in Worcester wouldn't seem to have much in common. Yet the man who redesigned the public face of SW1A1AA in 1913 had already left his fingerprints all over the faithful city. For although architect Sir Aston Webb was born in London, he tied the knot with a Worcester girl and many of his early works were in the city before he went on to much greater things. Webb's connection with Worcester began in 1876 when he married Maria Everett, the daughter of a doctor who practised for many years in Forgate Street and his first significant commission wasn't far away. The Six Masters charity asked him to redesign a block of almshouses at the Royal Grammar School in the Tithing. This met with approval, and Webb was then chosen to design the school for Angel Place Congregational Church, which still stands on the corner with the butts today, but with much different use. Sir Aston also restored St Helen's Church on the corner of Fish Street and High Street, one of the oldest in the city and regarded as Worcester's mother church, as well as All Saints Church in Deansway. On the northern edge of the city, he revamped the exterior of Clane's Church in 1855. 
After that, it was onwards, and appropriately for a man used to working on holy ground, upwards. Because Webb achieved national fame with his work on some of London's best-known landmarks. Apart from Buckingham Palace, these included the surroundings of the Victoria Memorial, Admiralty Arch, Britannia Naval College and the completion of the Victoria and Albert Museum. However, his most elegant addition to the Worcester landscape was the rebuilding of St George's Church in Barbourne. The original had been a simple chapel called Clane's St George's, which was erected in 1829 as an outpost after the minister at Clanes complained his parish was in the vicinity of a large city and being attacked by dissidents of every kind. Barbourne developed into a fashionable residential suburb and when the little chapel was replaced in 1894, top man Sir Aston was called in to design a replacement described as being spectacularly placed at the end of a long green, the new St George's was considered a key work of Webb's best period and reminiscent of St George's at Windsor, which is about half an hour down the A4 from Buck House, although a bit longer by horse and carriage. Uh, the article I have chosen for the next one uh, is also relates to churches, but unfortunately highlights disrespectful behaviour. The headline is Churchyard Hit by Bad Behaviour. A churchyard has fallen prey to antisocial behaviour by teenagers, including arson, fights, loud screaming and graffiti, say fed-up residents. Sleep-deprived de neighbours describe growing concern over antisocial behaviour in the churchyard of St John's Church, St John's, Worcester. Councillor Richard Udall says parents should be more accountable for their children's behaviour, but also believes more provision is needed for young people in the community. Matters came to a head on Monday morning when residents reported a disturbance at 3.30am, including loud screaming in the churchyard of St John's, which dates from about 1165. Graffiti can still be seen on one of the buildings next to the church. Meanwhile, there are also daubs on the steps of the library nearby and on a building in Bromyard Road. Councillor Richard Udall, the Labour and Cooperative Councillor for St John's, said, St John's Church is the historical heart of our community. It's sad to see recent problems in the churchyard, with children and young people being involved with arson, graffiti, vandalism and now disturbances reported at 3.30am. Residents had to call the police in the early hours of Monday morning. It's alarming that children are allowed to be causing trouble at such a time. Parents really need to be held more accountable for the behaviour of their children but society also has a responsibility to ensure we collectively provide for their needs in a more productive way. Recent cuts to youth work and youth provision in Worcestershire are not without consequences. We need to invest in young people again, otherwise these acts of vandalism will sadly continue. However, I refuse to allow that to be used as an 
I refuse to allow that to be used as an excuse for misbehaviour and vandalism. The area around the church is important to many local people and it's home to many others. Councillor Udall called for better lighting, CCTV and more nighttime police patrols. One resident said, I don't have kids, but if I did, I would have them in bed at 3.30am. It's consecrated ground. There were eight to ten young people around on Monday smoking weed. They should have a little bit more respect. They seem to be getting braver with this long period of hot weather. They're having scraps and they even had a fire. One of them was trying to swing on the tree. This is a thousand-year-old church and there's an old boy that comes in here every week to lay flowers for his wife who passed away. They don't deserve that. Nobody does, really. He said he rang 999 a fortnight ago. I thought somebody was being attacked in the churchyard, he said. Another resident called it willful damage and said a bench had also been ripped up. There's nothing for them. It's a shame, really. They're just bored. They should not be out at that time in the morning, he said. West Mercia Police and the church were unavailable for comment. One of the biggest events on Pershaw's calendar will be missing its most important ingredient. The Pershaw Plum Festival returns on the August Bank Holiday weekend, but it could be lacking one very crucial aspect, the plums. Organisers have said that the recent heatwave and drought caused unforeseen issues for local farmers. A statement on the festival's website reads, Due to the recent extreme hot weather and no rain, unfortunately all varieties of plums have ripened a lot earlier this year and growers are seeing a difference of up to three weeks for the harvest. Throughout the weekend, we will endeavour to provide you with the plums that you have visited us for, but please be aware they are in short supply this year, so please buy early to avoid disappointment. The festival aims to shine a light on the fruit which puts Persia on the map. From Saturday, August the 27th to Monday, August the 29th, the town will play host to a wide range of events and activities. The opening day will see a fun fair in Abbey Park, as offering local businesses a chance to get involved with the All About Plums Shop Window Display Contest. Then on Sunday, there will be a 10k Plum Plodders race, finishing at Abbey Park, as well as a Plum Pooches Dog Show, a food village, and the Plum Fun Zone, featuring pony rides, inflatables, sports and more. There will also be live music and entertainment at the bandstand from the likes of Men Behaving Sadly, Mulvan Hillbillies and The Recovered. The final day will see the pinnacle of the festival with the whole town set to turn plum crazy with events such as the Plum Fair and the Classic Car Show. If we move slightly outside Worcester just for one lovely story from... Uh, the Worcester News of August 16. It's about local tennis star, Bethany Pye. There's a nice photograph of her. And it, the article reads, Evesham's Bethany Pye may not have lifted all silverware this week on the manicured lawns of Wimbledon, but she still enjoyed an unforgettable experience at South West 19. 
Pye, 15, who goes to Prince Henry's High School and lives in Evesham, featured in the national finals at the Play Your Way to Wimbledon event, powered by Vodafone. The largest individual mass participation tennis competition in the UK. Thousands of 14 and under and 18 and under players took part in the qualifying stages this year, leading to county and regional finals in June and July, with the winners progressing to the national finals on Wimbledon's Orangi courts last week. Pai, who described Emma Raducanu as her tennis idol, failed to progress to the latter stages of the tournament, but was still thrilled to be in attendance at Wimbledon and revealed it was an experience she will never forget. She said, It's really good to play on the courts that all the professionals have played on, and just to experience coming to Wimbledon. I liked watching Emma Raducanu, who's definitely my favourite tennis player, because she's very aggressive and I'm trying and aggressive, so watching her at Wimbledon was very good. Knowing Emma played this event, it kind of shows that you can start at this tournament and then get to that high level like she did. It gives me a bit of the belief that if that I can get there, if she did, then I can. My next article has a beautiful illustration of three pictures of three cats. A tabby and white, a black one, and a very tigerish tabby as well. Elderly cats left to fend for themselves. And this is from the Worcester News, Saturday, August the 13th. A trio of elderly cats left to fend for themselves are in need of a new home. RSPCA Worcester and Mid Worcestershire is looking to rehome three cats rescued from poor conditions after their owner passed away. Colin, Sydney, and Walter had been surviving off table scraps and have only ever had each other as company. An RSPCA Worcester spokesman said, Colin, Sydney and Walter haven't had the best of lives. They've been rescued from extremely poor conditions after their owner passed away. From what we can gather, these boys have been fed occasional table scraps but mainly had to fend for themselves and have never in their lives known the security of a loving home and a warm bed. Yet amazingly, though undoubtedly nervous, they do still show some trust in humans. The branch is looking to rehome all three together and is confident they'll make ideal pets given the proper care. We feel these lovely older gents are ready to move on to find their forever home. We just desperately hope we don't have to separate them, added the spokesperson. We know it's a huge ask. We know that taking on three older cats who have never lived indoors properly is a huge commitment. Yet these boys really do deserve a chance. 
They have lovely, gentle natures. They all use litter trays, and honestly, it's like they're asking us to just find them a comfortable retirement home where there'll be no trouble, and we'll even enjoy some fuss once they decompress and learn to relax in their new environment. The cats have required some dental work. And had upset stomachs following the transition onto good quality food. However, vets have found no other issues, and RSPCA staff believe they will be fine living with other animals. They also think they would be comfortable with older children. Anyone interested in adopting the elderly trio, and I should think most people would get killed in the rush. They're gorgeous. Is encouraged to visit rspca-worcester.org and complete the perfect match form. My next article comes from Monday, August the fifteenth, and is weather-related. Uh, it's this features a lovely picture of the landscape at Croom Park, but the grass is totally parched. Trust cools on opening. Hot weather is taking its toll on a National Trust property in Worcestershire. Croom has stopped serving hot food. A play area has had to be closed, and opening hours for its walled garden have been reduced. Continued high temperatures and lack of rain is also impacting the site's celebrated gardens. In a Facebook post, Croom said its RAF-themed play area would be closed over the weekend, as play equipment surfaces were getting very hot. Its natural play area remains open. The cafe was not serv- serving hot food until today, while pri- the privately owned walled garden was opening and closing earlier due to the heat. The National Trust has also spoken about how much of a challenge the hot weather is for its gardeners. A spokesperson for the conservation charity said, "Our garden teams work really hard to keep the gardens looking beautiful year round, but the very high temperatures and low rainfall are proving to be quite a challenge." National Trust calls for emissions to be cut. In prolonged dry weather. We have to be responsible and limit irrigation to only the most fragile and important plants, as people and animals need the water more. Please don't worry; parched lawns and borders will recover. Mulching borders with our own compost and leaving grass to grow a little longer are two ways we help our gardens to be resilient. And for the future, we're looking at storing more rainwater and planting drought-resistant species. The National Trust says this summer's exceptional conditions should act as a wake-up call to cut emissions and adapt. Rills and water features in some historic gardens have dried up. A pond-dipping event in Yorkshire was cancelled after the 15-metre-long pool all but vanished. And a water wheel in Cambridgeshire that powers a flour mill has stopped turning. Keith Jones, National Climate Change Advisor for the National Trust, said, "We must cut emissions. The UK still holds the COP presidency, and the next Prime Minister should put this at the top of their to-do list as COP 27 approaches in November." A wave of objections. Have been raised against a plan to build up to 30 homes in a village. 
a planning application to build the new homes on fields off Post Office Lane in Kemsey by house builder Lantal Development has attracted more than 80 objections from villagers. Residents say Kemsey's school and doctor's surgery are already struggling at full capacity and would suffer more from a wave of new families moving to the village if the homes were built. Objecting to the plan, Samantha Morris of Old Road South said, the school is not big enough and has insufficient space for expansion. The doctor's surgery isn't big enough for the community it serves. There are frequent interruptions to the electricity supply, which will be compounded by additional housing. The promise of additional amenities resulting from recent developments has not been forthcoming. Generally, there aren't sufficient amenities to support further development in the village. Another objector, Natasha Fuel of Mercia Way in Kemsey, said, The area that the plans are being proposed for flood. The school is full, and having spoken to the school, they won't be expanding, so where are the children going to go? Post Office Lane is the main road to the school. It is already incredibly busy, so with more homes and vehicles travelling along that road, it is only going to add to the problem. If approved, the homes would sit next to the recently completed 75-home Sallow Bedway plan in Kemsey, but would also be outside the designated development boundary for the village. Of the mix of one to five bed properties, 12 of the homes would be affordable. The latest 30-home application is one of several plans to build more homes in and around the village in the last 18 months. Platform Housing has put forward an application to build 70 homes off Bath Road between Worcester and Kemsey, and Living Space Housing and Social Housing Provider Stonewater has also revealed proposals to build 79 affordable homes on the former Aston Coaches Depot. You can still have your say on the plans by visiting Malvern Hills District Council's website. The application number is m slash 22 slash 00497 slash out in capital letters and consultation ends on August the 23rd. On a rather more sombre note against a beautiful photograph of a GWR uh, train ironically stationary at the platform is the headline further train strikes to hit travel. Strike action will affect rail commuters today, that is today August 18th. Strikes are taking place on today and Saturday, but travel is expected to be affected tomorrow and Sunday as well. A spokesman from Great Western Railway said, on strike days, an extremely limited service will operate between 7am and 6.30pm, and the last trains will leave much earlier. Due to the timing of the strike action, services after strike days will also be affected. Where trains are able to operate, they will be extremely busy. Passengers are advised to find alternative ways to travel on these days. A spokesman for West Midlands Railway said, Due to industrial action by the National Union of Rail, Maritime and Transport Workers, the RMT, West Midlands Railway services will be running to a limited timetable on a limited number of routes, similar to the recent timetable on the 27th of July. Other routes will not be served 
As a very limited service will be in place during this time, you're advised to only travel by rail if absolutely necessary on these dates. And my article is headed, Jail for Assault on X. A man who kicked and spat blood at a police officer in Malvern has been jailed again, this time for assaulting his former girlfriend. Dean Davis, whose previous convictions include robbery, was jailed for two years when he appeared at Worcester Crown Court. Davis had previously denied the charges, but on the morning of his trial on Monday, August the 15th, the 55-year-old dramatically changed his plea to three of the counts. Davis admitted assault occasioning actual bodily harm between December the 23rd and December the 26th, 2021. He also admitted two counts of assault by beating the same victim on January the 21st and January the 23rd this year. The prosecutor said Davis and the victim began a turbulent relationship in June 2020, with things coming to a head in December 2021. Mr Vollens said Davis had been at the home of the victim and taken umbrage to a message she had received from a former partner on her phone. The prosecutor said she had gone to bed, but Davis woke the victim up to confront her before repeatedly slapping her across the face. He went downstairs to the kitchen to get a bread knife and returned to the bedroom, Mr Vollens said. She was concerned for her safety. He threatened to stab her with the knife. The prosecutor said after storming off downstairs and the situation calm, Davis then grabbed her arm, dragging her to the sofa and slapping her face. The assault continued when the victim went back to bed, Davis again repeatedly striking her in the face and threatening to kill her. The prosecutor said on January the 21st, Davis took an exception to someone offering to buy her a drink. And when they went back to her home, he repeatedly slapped her, verbally abused her and threw a takeaway meal at her. And two days later, Davis had again taken exception to a message on the victim's phone, throwing it in her face, injuring her nose. Richard Hull, defending, said his client had committed the offences when he had been drinking, taking medication and other substances. Mr Hull added, how he acted was not representative of how he feels about her. <laughs> not surprising. He is remorseful about the way he acted. The next is a plea to be water wise. A water company is urging its customers to use water wisely amid the current heat wave. Seven Trent has asked people to consider how they are using water after the country experienced its direst July since 1911. I think perhaps driest as well. The with temperatures hitting the 30s and with little rain in the forecast, demand for water has increased to some of the highest peaks on record. Sophie Evans-Young, Water Efficiency Manager at Seven Trent, said, 
As the glorious summer sunshine continues, there's naturally a greater demand for water, so our teams are working around the clock to keep the network in good shape. Our region has experienced the driest July in a century, with no rainfall in the forecast. We're asking for people to be mindful of their water use, as small behavioural changes can add up to a big difference. We'd like to thank all customers for their continued support as the warm and dry weather continues into the summer. The company hasn't had a, hasn't had a temporary usage ban in 27 years, instead relying on its drought action plan. This involves pumping an extra 100 million litres of water into the network every day while doubling the numbers of tankers in the fleet so that water can be moved into supply more quickly. Engineers are also fixing around 3,000 leaks a month, which can be caused by pipes bursting as a result of the ground drying up and moving due to the hot weather. Now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Thanks to Moira, Penny, Richard and Alex for reading and recording, and to Carol Hartle for leading our vital admin work. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll be back for more next time. So best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. Goodbye. Now the obituaries and I'll ask Moira to start. Phyllis Ball, known as Phil, passed away peacefully on August 5th, aged 77 years. The funeral service will be at Our Lady Queen of Peace, RC Church, on Friday, August 26th at 12 noon, followed by a burial at St John's Cemetery. Donations if desired to Leukaemia UK. John Henry William Crow passed away the 4th of August at Worcester Royal Hospital, aged 88. Funeral service to be held at Worcester Crematorium on August 23rd at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please. Dr Stuart Gordon Andrews passed away peacefully at home on the 1st of August, aged 80 years. A private cremation. A celebration of his life will be held at Summers Park Avenue Methodist Church on Friday the 9th of September at 12.30. Please wear something colourful. No flowers but donations if desired to cancer research. Malcolm John Darling. Malcolm Darling died peacefully at home on 27th of July, aged 90. Schoolmaster, carpenter, musician, sportsman, potter, printer and gentleman. The funeral will take place at Clanes Church, Worcester on Tuesday, August the 30th at 12 noon. Elizabeth Chadwick of Batten Hall passed away peacefully on 31st of July 2022, aged 77 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 24th of August at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Beris Eileen Cox of Bleebeck, Hallow Road, Worcester. 
passed away peacefully at home on the 25th of July 2022, aged 87. The funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium on the 25th of August 2022 at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Michael Gunn, Mike, of Madrasfield, originally Hallow, passed away at home on the 8th of August 2022, aged 87 years. The funeral service will take place at 10.45am on Wednesday the 31st of August 2022 at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only. Margaret Ormsby, née Finn, passed away peacefully at home on the 8th of August 2022, aged 70 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 25th of August at 10.45am. Family flowers only please, please wear bright colours. And Ivan Willits passed away peacefully on the 3rd of August 2022, aged 78 years. The funeral service will take place at Holt Heath Church on Thursday the 25th of August at 1pm, followed by an interment in the churchyard. Family flowers only, please. Bridget Gormley, known as Bridie, sadly passed away in hospital with her family by her side on the 31st of July 2022, aged 84 years. Funeral service at Our Lady Queen of Peace Catholic Church on Tuesday the 23rd of August at 10am, followed by a committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. William Ernest Flello, known as Urn, former proprietor at Abberley Stores for 50 years, passed away after a short illness on the 24th of July 2022, aged 94 years. The funeral service will be held at Wire Forest Crematorium on Tuesday the 23rd of August 2022 at 12.30pm. Family flowers only. Karen Leslie Young, former matron at Evesham Community Hospital, passed away on the 31st of July 2022, aged 63 years. Funeral service will be held at the Vale Crematorium on Monday the 22nd of August at 1pm. 